0: Educators, welcome to Classroom Conversations, the platform for Georgia's teachers. The Classroom Conversations podcast series is a production of the Georgia Department of Education and Georgia Public Broadcasting. I'm Ashley Mingwasser, your host, the voice leading our conversation here to bring you a Classroom Conversations first, our flagship episode on the topic of leadership. Today we'll overview leading effective literacy instruction to improve K through eight education. And this is a real page turner, partly because our guest is so candid and fascinating in her leadership role, partly because we're talking about literacy. Our 33rd U.S. President, Harry S. Truman, is known for saying that not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Our guest is no exception, consuming texts and podcasts daily that propel her district forward. She's a real heavyweight in the literacy leadership arena and a pretty big deal. Felicia Purdy is a former classroom teacher and former coach, now entering her fourth year as assistant superintendent for teaching and learning with Seminole County Schools. In Donaldsonville, that's bordered by Alabama and Florida, so a bit of a drive. Felicia has a proven ability to improve elementary schools and has been a major change agent for her system. Whether a leader or a teacher, you can expect to glean some benefits from our episode today. Hi, Felicia. Hi, Ashley. How long was your drive from Donaldsonville to Atlanta? It takes about four hours. From, to drive from Donaldsonville to Atlanta. That's a long stretch to come yes. here for thirty minutes. I hope it's worth it. it I'm sure it is. We'll so. do our best <laughs> to make it so. This one also. Do you possess any superhero abilities that you can think of?
1: I don't possess superhero abilities per se, but um, but I do wish it, that I had an easy button. Um, <laughs> do you remember back in the early two thousands when um Staples those commercials came out for Staples and it was the easy oh, button? Oh, the commercial? easy button. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This work is hard. Um, you know, work and education in today's dynamic is difficult and it's challenging. And so an easy button would be an, a fantastic addition to uh, yeah. to my tools. <laughs> that would be like your
0: superhero tool on yeah, your tool belt. That's right. Are you recognized as a celebrity in public? Well, when you live in a town of (laughs) 9,000, you can't go anywhere without being recognized. So, yes, the Piggly Wiggly is definitely a place of of recognition. (laughs) They know who you are. They know who you are. In rural Georgia. Well, thanks for clearing (laughs) all that up, Felicia. On to a more serious note, superintendents and assistant superintendents have some pretty hard, high-level work to do in our school systems. You're managing operations, you're identifying areas in need, you're providing targeted leadership to meet those areas. What would you say, just in a couple sentences, are the core components of your role as the assistant superintendent?
1: Yeah, so the core components of my role specifically are really centered around providing leadership for strategic planning um, and school improvement processes, as well as supporting the work of the district around academic improvement. Um, and really specifically speaking to curriculum, instruction, professional learning, assessment, and then just the evaluation of programs to determine whether or not those are being effective or not within our system.
0: Right. So you can you can clean house and uh, overhaul programs if they seem to be not working. So that's pretty powerful. What do you want people to know about superintendents uh, and assistant superintendents that they may not? Oh, something they may not know. Yeah. Um, well,
1: I can't speak for everyone else, but I think it's important to remember you know, assistant superintendents, um, such as myself, I mean, I was a practitioner. Mm. I was a classroom teacher. Yep. Um, and that was where I started my journey in education. And I always will consider myself to be a teacher. Yeah. Um, as long as I work in this field. You know, ultimately, my primary responsibility and our primary responsibility within school systems is teaching and learning. That's right. Um, and so that's something that you have to always remember. Um, and even though that I'm no longer operating within that context of a teaching position, um, you know, my favorite days at work to date um, are still when I walk in classrooms. You okay. know, I, I love going into classrooms. I love being with teachers. I love being with students. Um, and if I ever lose that drive, then I would I would have to change professions. Yeah. Um, because that's really, that's the work.
0: There that's, is a palpable energy. There is. Kind of like how I feel in front of the camera or microphone. I think if you work in education, you feel, that, you feel that buoyance once you are in a classroom. That's a pretty powerful thing. You also told me that your perspective changed once you got outside of the classroom and were in a different role. How so?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, as a teacher, your perspective is really bound by your four walls. Right. And your influence is bound by those four walls. Um, But, you know, those four walls within your classroom is really it's really just one subset um, or one system subsystem within a large body of systems within the school and the district. Um, And when you step into a a leadership role, you're now dealing with multiple systems um, and subsystems and multiple stakeholders. And and so it really broadens your your perspective to scale. Um, depending on your role, whether that's in a building or within a district, um, and you no longer, you know, just make decisions based on yourself and what's in your best interest, you make decisions what's in the best interest of the children that you serve
0: and the and the faculty um, that are under your care and guidance as leadership. Right. Well, consuming professional content is a big part of your job and your own professional development that you do, and part of your intrinsic joy. You tell me you're an avid podcast listener. What are you reading or listening to right now that's really informing your approach? I am an avid podcast listener, and I actually was listening to a
1: podcast um, by Wiley Blevins on the way over here, speaking of literacy leadership. All um, right. But, you know, I, I would like to say first that, you know, it is it is my belief that um, as an educational leader, you can't lead work you don't know about.
0: That's true.
1: And so one way that leaders and teachers can grow in themselves um, so they in turn can support the growth of others is by listening to podcasts, reading books, following blogs. Tim Shanahan's blog is fantastic. Um, or really, social media has a huge presence um, in in our current environment. So just invest in yourself and your own professional learning um, would be my call to action. But to answer your question, um, at the moment, um, like I said, I have an unhealthy addiction to podcasts. <laughs> well, it's, now we're
0: getting to yeah, the real It's meat. very unhealthy.
1: <laughs> um, I, I do listen to them um, when I am by myself so that I don't bother anyone else. But uh, my favorites <laughs> right now, uh, in the context of literacy, I have three favorites. The first one is Melissa and Lori Love Literacy. Um, it's fantastic. What a cute title! Yeah, and what's wonderful about that podcast is they're both teachers, um, and they're just trying to work their way through this the dynamics of our current, you know, state of literacy um, with the shifts between balanced literacy and the science of reading, and where their state's at, um, so that they can, you know, support others in their growth within that work. So that's that's a fantastic one. Um, Amplify has another fantastic podcast called The Science of Reading. Um, and then I, I will say that the Literacy View uh, was the one that I was just listening to on the way over here, and they they just
0: hosted Wiley Blevins, and his episode dropped this week, and it was it was fantastic. This so, episode dropped this yes, week. Yes, it dropped this week. <laughs> Can I help perpetuate your unhealthy addiction by asking you to promote this episode?
1: Absolutely, that I, will. Would be wonderful. I will absolutely help you re- promote this episode. Classroom now,
0: conversations. Thank you. <laughs> now the thing about addictions though is they're a, a bit uncontrollable and compulsive. So are you like listening in the closet, listening in the car, <laughs> listening in the show? Shower. I am listening in the shower. Good. Uh, <laughs> some good listening yes, time. It is some good listening singing, time. It's some productive are listening to classroom conversations. That's right.
1: Exactly. You know, so listening to classroom conversations in the morning when you're getting ready to go to work.
0: Exactly. Thank you for that shameless plug. <laughs> you're welcome. Yours is a smaller rural system. Yes. We talked about that a little bit when I first met you. And uh, tell us a little bit about the makeup of the district and the literacy landscape there
1: yeah well first of all
0: i just want to say that i have an honor
1: um and it is truly a pleasure to work and and represent the seminole county School system but we are located in the southwestmost corner of the great state of georgia um and like you said earlier we border alabama and florida state lines um but we're a small rural community where agriculture is our main industry um, it is the primary industry. Um, we have a saying in our district that we have the best schools in southwest Georgia, and that's really our mission. I mean, our mission is is we strive daily to truly make that a reality um, and provide the best schools in southwest Georgia. Um, and so our district is made up of a diverse population of students. Um, we have approximately 1,350 students enrolled pre-K through 12. Um, which is very rural compared to, you know, the Atlanta public school system, very. for example. Um, but, you know, that of that makeup, um, it's diverse. We have 100 percent that have been identified as economically disadvantaged, 50 um, percent white, 41 percent African-American, and about 9 percent that are multiracial. Um, and then of that, about 10.8 percent of those students are have been identified for special education services. Um, so you can see we have a variety of needs yeah. within our system. Um, and. You know, it's quite a challenge, but it's a challenge that we all um, have embraced and are really excited about. But the literacy landscape within our district has really gone through a transformation over the past three years. But if you were to walk in our elementary literacy classrooms, you would see students engaged in speaking, listening, reading and writing on a daily basis. You would notice that our teachers have access to high quality instructional materials that are intended to support each component of our comprehensive literacy block. And that block is grounded in the science of reading. And it's about it's approximately 140 to 160 minutes of daily instruction. Um, And that instruction addresses the areas of phonological awareness, basic and advanced phonics, vocabulary, morphology, fluency at the sentence and passage level, comprehension and written expression. Um, So it it has definitely been a transformation. Um, But, you know, one of my favorite educational researchers is Nancy Fry. And one thing she's a researcher, but she's also a practitioner. Um, And one thing that she says is that every student deserves a great teacher, not by chance, but by design. Mm. And, you know, really, that is what we've done in Seminole County and the work that we're engaged in. We've designed a literacy block that ensures that all students have access to a guaranteed and viable curriculum to ensure equity. Um, And it's been beautiful. It's been challenging, um, but it's been great work and very honorable work. Um, And, you know, I I think that one thing that uh, literacy leaders and legislators need to understand that, is that purchasing those materials that are high quality alone it's it's not a magic wand yeah right it's not going to solve all your literacy issues um it's not enough just to procure those those resources you've really got to provide your teachers and your leaders with training on how to implement those curricular resources mm-hmm. and then how to make and then and then train your teachers on how to be responsive and to make decisions in the moment that's that's being responsive and attending to the needs of their students yeah
0: you, you've gone. You've taken the place from a, a school system where there was a little bit of a block in terms of literacy to creating and designing a literacy block for literacy. Right. Uh, that's a tale of transformation. That's that's ongoing there, as you mentioned in your time, and it's been a major collaborative change. You know, with your role and with educators. So, to totally pull back the curtain in your trademark transparent style, Felicia, can you tell us why you were brought to the school system in the first place? Absolutely. Well, when our superintendent,
1: Mr. Mark Ernest, began his tenure as the superintendent of schools, that was approximately four years ago. He really found himself in an environment where our elementary school had just been placed on the TSI list. And that stands for targeted support and improvement. And actually, that's
0: you don't want to be. on. Yeah, It's not a list
1: you want to be on. (laughs) It's not the list we wanted to find ourselves on. So in response to um, that news, he brought in the Office of School and District Improvement and they conducted an assessment of our schools so that we would have a report and an assessment of really what the processes were in place at that moment in time. And so from there, he just decided to surround himself with instructional leaders to support that work. Um, And that's really when I joined the team, and we are a team. You're right. I mean, this work is not done in isolation. This work is done together in lockstep with your board of education, with your district leaders, your school leaders, your teachers, your families. So we began this journey, and we really started with addressing the findings of that report. And we looked at our current practices of the school, and, and what the what the committee found was, when they came into our schools, they found that our teachers really operated under a fragmented culture. Interesting. And, and and I will say, let me let me just say that I have the honor the the staff that I work with. I would not trade for any other teacher or any other staff in this state. Mm. They're fantastic. But at that time, they were functioning like one room schoolhouses. Yeah. And you know that that is not. You know, not being able to operate under a shared vision and not working together is not going to produce the results that that we wanted to see. And so we set forth to really develop a shared vision and a shared set of core values around literacy instruction. And that's where we started our journey. We established a coherent vision for literacy learning. And we knew that when educators Worked together in unison that we would We could ensure high literacy outcomes for all Students. Right. You
0: said you had No choice but to shift and you did So we did. talk to me about what those Rates are today.
1: Yeah, so Rates today, Um. you know, we had a lot of different Action steps. It didn't just happen overnight You know, change takes time. Yes Um. And so this is, we're going into year four Of this work, but I'm proud to say that We have been removed from the TSI list We've all met right. exit criteria. Yes, we're very proud Of that. Um. And that In the last three years our third grade proficiency reading proficiency scores have increased from 62 percent of students reading on or above grade level to our most recent 2023 score showing that 75 percent of our third graders are now reading on late grade level. And we're really proud of that. A huge leap. It is. Um, and, and what we're seeing is every single year annually, we, ha- we make room and um, stride in the right direction. Exactly.
0: Well, <laughs> onto the particulars of your approach, which I imagine our listeners are, are dying to know about when it comes to literacy leadership. Can you start us with the definition? What in the simplest terms is literacy leadership? I think, in the simplest terms, literacy leadership is really just a subset of
1: instructional leadership. Um, and you know it's very clear to me um that schools and districts they, they must be run by instructional leaders. And obviously, we all have operational processes and 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 legal responsibilities, and and it's very convoluted with your roles and responsibilities. But at the essence of it, schools are about teaching and learning. Yes. Right. Um, And so my primary goal as a literacy leader is really to empower our teachers. And I think that should be the goal of any leader um, is to empower their teachers with the knowledge, the skills and the resources to realize student success within their classrooms.
0: And you're you're equipping them with such confidence to to wield these resources as powerful tools um, to produce the outcomes that, you know, you want your schools to have. So in what ways does literacy leadership serve as that key? To the school improvement you've sought and achieved already. Yeah. Well, research shows
1: that literacy leaders really attend to seven seven systems within their building or within within their school district. And first and foremost is leadership. Right, the assistant principal and the principal in a building they're the linchpin. I mm-hmm. mean they they are the ones that set the tone. They mat they schedule. Um, they let me backtrack. They they complete the master schedules. Um, and a master schedule will make or break a school. Um, but really, you know, they have to have a deep understanding before they can lead staff uh, of this work. Um, and it's okay if they don't. But, yeah. you know, be willing to be, to get in the sandbox and do this work with your staff. Um, and I mean, that's honorable to me. Um, another component, the second component, will be assessment, making sure that you have the appropriate assessments, a balanced assessment system in place um, so that you can attend to uh, the data and monitor the, the work that you've put in. Universal instruction. Right. That's really, you know, if I had to be honest, if most school systems um, really had a deep conversation and were reflective about the work that they're doing um, and where some of the breakdown is, it's usually and typically it's in tier one. Mm -hmm. You know, what are we what are we providing to all students? Um, And if you're not garnering an 80 to 85 percent success rate, then I would charge you with, uh, you know, challenge you with with reviewing your tier one practices. Review evolve. That's right. Review, evolve, refine. Um, It doesn't mean overhaul because curriculum fatigue is real. Right. To explain that. So, you know, many systems, you know, I'm going to implement something for a few years. I'm going to buy the resources. Um, but sometimes they don't necessarily always provide the professional development training and support for their staff to implement those resources. And so then two years goes by. They're not seeing those results they throw the baby out with the bathwater. I see. And they buy something new. And the price, the problem wasn't necessarily with the material, it was with the implementation of the material. Right. Um and so making sure that you're providing the your staff with the appropriate professional development, which is another system. Yeah. Um you're communicating with families um and community about the work that you're doing. Um and so that that you are, you know, better equipped to to meet the needs of of the building. Um the last two would be database decision making and intervention. You know, how are you attending um, to the data uh, and what it's telling you and then how are you supporting the students who need, who are struggling and need continued and more intensive supports.
0: Right. You mentioned uh, professional development in terms of literacy. What types of PD are the teachers in your district involved in?
1: Well, over the past few years, um, our teachers have been engaged in a lot of professional development, more than they've had in a long time and they'll tell you that, but um, but it's been great. It's really been job embedded. Um, the last few years that's been our focus is job embedded professional learning and, and the focus for the last three years, has really been on interpreting assessment data. Um, once we put those assessment systems in place, so that they can, it would inform their instruction and, and be able to drive their instruction within the classroom. Um, and then the second part of that was would be around implementing those new curricular resources that we procured. You know, like I said a moment ago, uh, many many districts, the, the initiative itself, the resources itself, they don't fail. It's the fact that we don't we don't spend the funding um, and allocate the funding and, and spend the time implementing those resources with consultants. Um, or coaches within those classrooms. It's really more about interpreting and then applying in that setting. And so we did a multi-year contract at our elementary school with BBB. It's an educational enterprise, um, a consulting company. And and their literacy consultant, the one we contracted with, she really walked with us along the way. Um, she got in classrooms, she co-taught, she modeled. Um, and now I have model classrooms where they can do and continue and sustain that, that work and support within our buildings. Um, in addition to curriculum-aligned professional development, we really established a goal to train all staff on the science of reading. And so one way that mm-hmm. we've done that is through the um, the letters training. And letters uh, stands for language essentials for teachers of reading and spelling. Um, and we could not, this work's been instrumental. Um, we had a cohort of 10 go through letters training this this year, um, and we have 20 set to go through that cohort next year. And so our goal is by 25, 26, the 25-26 school year, all of our K-8 ELA teachers, our special education teachers, and our literacy interventions will all be trained, letters trained.
0: That's um, incredible. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's really like a multi-year rollout here. You, like you said, the change takes time. It's not just one and done. Right. It's constant application. The year 2025 sounds like Futurama to me. I can't even get my head around that. Just want to move on to kind of what the current culture is that you're seeing. What do you find to be an exciting shift that's taking place in schools? And what literacy challenges do you see? Well, I think one of the most exciting shifts around
1: literacy comes from the fields of cognitive science and neuroscience. Um, and really what I'm speaking to there is more about functional MRIs and ah. what that's telling us um, and what it's been able to suggest and really confirm for us about how the brain learns to read. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, it's very exciting to me. Uh, you, to, you know, I'm a podcast <laughs> I can nerd. see you trembling and, over uh, there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is is what it really leans, leans into is when you know better, you do better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and... I can't imagine someone not wanting to do better for
0: the schools or the classrooms and the students that they serve. Um, But that's it's also, you know, a challenge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're you're huge on research, which I love. I mean, that just grounds absolutely everything that you're doing. So what literacy challenges do you see in schools? Well, this same knowledge challenges current beliefs and practices, right? It does. And no one wakes up in the morning. I was
1: telling the lady earlier, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to change everything that I've done for the last 20 (laughs) years today, right? Um, And so that's hard. That's hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, And as a leader, you know, you have to have grace and understanding. You've got to give yourself grace and you've got to communicate grace. Um, I mean, because it's really a journey Mm -hmm. and it's going to take time and you know, in listening to the podcast that I was um, listening to with Wally Levins on the way over here, you know, he he had a really good, profound statement about there's a lot of information being thrown at teachers right now. A lot of information um, that they're not comfortable with, that they don't have a background of. We didn't go to our in-service programs didn't prepare us for this work. And um, unfortunately, that is sometimes they. it's only learned at the surface level. But to really do this work, we've got to get deep. Um, and, and that's something that I think is a challenge. You know, you, yeah. you can throw this work at, at your schools or your teachers or your school districts, um, but it's going to take time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's the real challenge. Um, it's not something that, you, you know, you can just do and transform overnight. It right. takes years um, to truly develop
0: deep understanding of the work, of this work. It takes time to permeate. Absolutely. What would you say is the single most important thing that our district leaders out there can do to support literacy instruction oh that's a loaded question <laughs> isn't it? <though? laughs> but you know i want a, a perfect little pretty one sentence yes. answer <laughs> yes um i think that
1: like i said earlier you you can't grow others unless you grow yourself um and there are many district leaders who are fantastic leaders but don't necessarily know the research mm-hmm. um so i think that before you can lead this work you really need to inundate yourself with the research and what that says so that you can take a step forward in the right direction.
0: Start with the research. Right, start with the research. Strengthening foundational reading skills has been huge in grades K through three. We know that gets a lot of focus, a lot of district resources. How are you leading efforts with those older elementary students and uh, the middle graders who are seeing significant literacy needs who are outside of that K through three window?
1: Yeah, well, you know, in Seminole County, our work within literacy is really synergized with our work within MTSS, which are multi tiers of systems and supports. So it's really synergized around that, our MTSS framework. Um, and so in specific regard to students in grades 4-8, you know, any student in grades 4-8 in our system that demonstrate a significant literacy need, they're identified through that MTSS process um, through a set of entrance criteria that we've established uh, locally. And, um we use multiple assessment data points to target those students with specific literacy needs. And then we're, from there, we really aligned, strategically aligned the interventions that we provide those students to their needs. So if they have de- word recognition or decoding deficits, they receive word recognition decoding interventions. But it, if they've mastered their decoding skills and they've shown proficiency, then we provide them. But they're still struggling with vocabulary, fluency, comprehension, which is really that more of that language comprehension piece. That's where the energy goes. then. That's where the energy goes. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also um, allocated staff to meet those needs. So at our um, at the at the middle school level, because we are a K five system, and then we have another school school building that's six twelve. Um, at the middle school level, we have one literacy intervention specialist who attends to that work and provides services. Um, and then at
0: our elementary level, we have three literacy intervention specialists that attend to the K five students and their needs. That sounds like a big job too, especially with specialists on the end. Do they have badges that they carry? They do carry badges. Yeah. They they are my pioneers um <laughs> and really that's the
1: group that we began this work with. Um yeah. and so they I'm so proud of them. They have come so far. Um and they have they're part of that first letters cohort and they tell me all the time that this is the stuff this is really what I should have learned in college. Look at that. Um, yeah. And so the, but they they have just grown and blossomed as professionals. And I'd be proud to put my child in any of their classrooms. Amazing. Well, they're
0: like the special agents now That's right. leading the charge on the ground. They're a special literacy agents. The special literacy agent, <laughs> SLA. So many acronyms in this series. I love it so much. What strategies do you use for those stakeholders? And you listed them earlier. You're talking about principals, the teachers themselves, you know, parents, the community. How do you get those stakeholders on board with literacy changes, especially our teachers, like you said, who already have so much to contend with? How do you do it? Well, you know, Cotter's, I don't know if you're familiar with Cotter's change model or change theory, but, you know, basically
1: says that, you know, when you're making organizational changes, you have to start with a sense of urgency. Ah. You know, and and unfortunately for Seminole, our sense of urgency was mandated, right? It was the list. Right. It was being on this (laughs) list. Um, But when we started the work, we really started with instilling that sense of urgency and, and making stakeholders aware of what is our data saying, you know, what disparities are between our subgroups. Um, what where what's our current practice look like? What is our current practice, and what does our current outcome data look like within literacy? and And that wasn't just something that we did internally. We brought in our family connections, our community stakeholders, our retired educators, and we really began yeah. to educate them all about where we currently were and what our vision was for moving forward. Um, and so I would start there. Um, and then from there, you really, we formed a team of teachers and leaders um, who who really walked hand in hand with this work to in this work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we didn't do it in isolation. Right. Um, it was really a team. A team made decisions about what, cu- which curricular resources we were going to select. A team made decisions on how we were going to implement, what supports they need. A team gave us feedback. We have impact teams in Seminole County, and they really monitor those school improvement plans, which are fed from and really derived from our district improvement plans, our strategic plan. And a team monitors those within the building. And they let us know what they have, where they're at, what wow. they need. Eyes and um, ears. Eyes and ears. Yeah. Right. Um, but, it, but it provides you with an opportunity for buy-in. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's a perfect world. It's not. Um, we have critical mass on buy-in. But there, there were staff that decided this was not the work for them, you know, and that's the reality um, of change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's your season and sometimes it's not. And, yeah. And that's okay. Exactly. Um, and so, anyway, it wasn't perfect work, but um, but definitely bringing in others to be a part of that team and that process. Um, would be my recommendation.
0: Yeah, the urgency piece is interesting. And so so is the discomfort of it anytime you have like a big unilateral change like this. Mm-hmm. But I think the point is that you've you've now taken the system with this buy-in from such fragmented, siloed classrooms to everybody really sharing a unified vision. First and foremost, I'm a product of public education. Same.
1: And, and I believe in public education. I mean, I've never worked in a school or worked for a district who didn't want the absolute best for the children that they serve and they do that work annually, daily, monthly, you know, year after year and good teachers which are across this great state, good teachers, good leaders, they pervasively engage in professional development they want to do what's right for their children that are within their buildings within their classrooms and they typically come together for continuous improvement efforts i mean we have improvement structures within the state where all schools are required to um, develop school improvement plans and really enact those plans to ensure that we are providing students with the best and the highest quality of instruction that that's within our control and so i would say that you know to those that are skeptical you know i would put i put my own children in the hands of public educators, and I would encourage you to do the same.
0: Do you have any final words for leaders who are, who are just beginning to build the literacy capacity in their schools? And then also on the flip side of the coin, any words for teachers who are receiving this hard but necessary professional development?
1: You know, I guess for leaders, um, we know that many Georgia students live in poverty. Um, you know, most Georgia students live in poverty or what, what's deemed as being an, impo- an impoverished situation. So, you know, but we also know that students that live in poverty can be as successful as their more fluent peers. It's So true. But it's our responsibility to make sure that there are strong leaders in place. There are valid programs. And then we have that and that those students have access to well-prepared and knowledgeable teachers. And that's where I would start. Yeah. That would be my my charge to to leaders that are beginning this work um and making sure that you're really attending to those three buckets you know building strong leaders ensuring teachers have access to high quality materials and then investing in their growth and development um and the and 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 I really feel that you'll you will come out on the other side of that being successful and seeing positive student outcomes um as far as teachers um I would want teachers to know that you know a well written curriculum is needed um, there's a you know going back to that research. Research shows that students perform better and have better outcomes when they have um, a framework to operate within within a classroom. It's well written curriculum, high, and have access to high quality instructional materials. But teachers are at the center of a classroom,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know when you walk into effective classrooms where students are meeting their goals annually, the teacher is the most important piece. Yes. Um, and having a knowledgeable teacher, that that is really the best impact and our best weapon um, as we move forward into really addressing the literacy needs of our state and our school systems.
0: We love our educators here on Classroom Conversations, and we want to support everything that they do. And what you just shared is is such an inspired vision. It's like urgency with a purpose, though. It doesn't it doesn't feel like panic. It feels like inspiration. So thank you for sharing your vision. I think you do possess superhero abilities. Uh, I do think you need to carry a specialty badge, and I wouldn't be surprised if you're recognized uh, at the airport as well as <laughs> the piggly wiggly. So thank you for the powerful work you're doing, Felicia, improving K through eight education in Seminole County. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Really glad you were here. Listeners, we have just learned from a legend of the lasting link between literacy and leadership. So many L's in that sentence. Where literacy is on the rise, there is likely a pretty impressive leader holding teachers up, instilling that confidence that is needed to help make good instructional decisions that lead to the outcomes all school systems want. I can't leave without doling out my usual fist bump of appreciation. So for this one, I'll say you're a great leader. I'm Ashley back next week with more card carrying members of Georgia's educational system. Bye for now. Funding for Classroom Conversations is made possible through the School Climate Transformation Grant.